0: The second feature I wanna highlight is that Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer network. That means person-to-person. This is a network run by the users for the users. There's no third party involved, okay? There's there's no bank that you need to ask permission to access your Bitcoin. There's no corporation changing the rules for, for their benefit, no billionaire getting special treatment, and no government you know, censoring your transaction or discriminating against you. The Bitcoin network is completely open. Anyone um, can vet the code themselves even. It's 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 open source code. So it's publicly available to anybody. You can literally, you know, pry into the code line by line. If you want, you, you know, if you know how to code, you know, go for it. If you don't know how to code, you know, you could literally, you know, get a software engineering degree or learn how to code online. And Bitcoin will be here when you get back. And you can go over the code and verify it for yourself. You don't have to trust anyone. You're not forced to trust anyone. And just like anybody can vet the code themselves, everybody's able to run the code themselves and join the network if you follow the rules. Which, you know, the rules are just like, you know, for example, there are 21 million Bitcoin, right? And there will never be any more than 21 million Bitcoin. And so you could join and, and run code, um, but then if, you're, if your code you know, says, hey, there are 22 million Bitcoin, then it will be rejected by everyone else. And you'll just be using a, a new version of the Bitcoin network all by yourself, you know, without anybody else. So, but if you'd like to join, You know, and follow the rules, then you're able to opt in to the Bitcoin network. And this is one of my favorite quotes Bitcoin has rules, but no rulers. Right? So anyone's able to opt in, there's no coercion. You know, you just need to follow these, you know, basic rules for like, you know, there's only 21 million Bitcoin, but there are no rulers. There's nobody dictating changes for everybody. There's nobody that can, you know, that you have to ask permission from. There's nobody censoring anything. There's nobody discriminating against anyone. It's, it's a completely open system run by the users, right? And with no ruler, with no with no one in control, and everyone being able to run the Bitcoin software themselves, then there's no centralized point of failure, right? There's no billionaire to compromise. There's no corporation to subpoena, no individual to arrest, no organization to close their business. And so as a result, like, you know, how in the world do you shut this thing down? This is a, a, a truly decentralized system. And I, I think it'd be helpful to kind of break down the different cohorts of users. So we have we have Bitcoin holders, Bitcoin node operators, and then Bitcoin miners. So let's walk through them. So a Bitcoin holder, this is someone that's holding their Bitcoin on a digital wallet. And these digital wallets, you know, you can have one on your phone that's less secure, or you can have one on a on a little device that looks like a Looks like a thumb drive. You can have one on a little device, and uh, and and that's more secure, right? And these Bitcoin wallets are protected um, by 24 words. So you have 24 words, and that acts like it acts like the password to your Bitcoin, right? And it's literally just a list of like mystery, shine, bring, goose you know etc just 24 words listed out and and this gives you access to your bitcoin it's called a, a seed phrase or a private key and and you know a bitcoin wallet is is a bit of a misnomer because there's no bitcoin stored on a wallet all the bitcoin remember the the in the first instance of digital scarcity all the bitcoin exists on that public ledger on, on the time chain that, that it's just the Bitcoin database the list of all transactions and but but these wallets they um, they they keep your 24 words safe which you need in order to spend your bitcoin so those 24 words they're like the key that that gives you the permission that that shows that you um th- that that verifies to the network that you own these coins um, and allows you to spend those coins on the great public ledger and d- don't don't get uh don't get overconfident in your ability to guess you know those 24 words you know you could theoretically, gain access to anyone's Bitcoin around the world. You just need to guess their 24 words. But, uh, you know, in an analysis from Jimmy Song, he explained that, you know, I mean, it's not literally impossible, but it would take one trillion computers guessing one trillion combinations each second for one trillion years to guess somebody's 24 words, right? And so, it's extremely resilient. And I'm going to say, you know, all, uh, you know, basically impossible to guess. And so some people, you know, they store their 24 words on on a slip of paper. You know, some people etch it in like titanium so that it can survive, you know, fire and um, some nuclear occurrence or, or you know, a, a flood or, um, <laughs> just etch it into like steel. It's it's crazy, uh, and you know some people memorize them because it's just just twenty four words, and so you know thinking adversarially, you know at that point to steal everyone's Bitcoin. Um, I mean, how would you even do that? It's it's held by every individual. You would need to. I don't know, ransack everybody's home in the hopes that they have it, you know, written down on a slip of paper somewhere. But uh, really, you know, the um, the the only way to you know feasibly gain access to to the Bitcoin is online, but it is protected by by incredibly strong encryption. You know, one trillion computers guessing one trillion combinations each second for one trillion years. It was what it would take to break this, right? Okay, so these are the Bitcoin holders. Next, you have the Bitcoin node operators. So these are our people that are running the Bitcoin software themselves that are vetting the entire time chain right the the database the ledger the list of all the bitcoin transactions this so so the the software they're running they're running the bitcoin software and it they're kind of acting like uh uh, like a digital accountant or a, a digital quality engineer they're confirming that every bitcoin transaction has been honest okay and and these are usually run on mini computers you know it's like and not not like a a small laptop i mean it's literally like three you know tech gadgets that you you know put together and then you plug it into your router and it's it's like the size of a phone and so these users are, are running these little like mini computers that run the Bitcoin network. And it's only like $250 of materials or so. And they are running the network trustlessly. They are verifying every transaction in Bitcoin's history that it's an honest transaction that there's no funny business, there's nobody spending coins that they don't have. There's nobody, you know, like earlier saying there are 22 million Bitcoin instead of 21 million. These nodes make sure that that no one's cheating the system and they give the user confidence that that um, that their coins are real, that their transactions are real and you know not everybody has to do this but the point is that everybody has the ability to do so right there's with just 250 you can run the you know you can also run it on your laptop it's just going to slow down your laptop or your computer or whatever you already have um and eventually i think people are going to be running them on phones in the background but um but so, so everybody running all these Bitcoin node operators, everybody running a Bitcoin node, they're running the software themselves, and they each have an entire copy of the Bitcoin database. They have the history of every single Bitcoin transaction that's ever happened since 2009. There are about Fourteen thousand of these around the world that are running publicly. So there are even more that, that people are running and not um, broadcasting, you know, to the network. But there are fourteen thousand running publicly, and um, they don't use any sort of notable amount of electricity. You know, there's no indication which households or routers have, you know, which households have a node running in them. Which which Wi-Fi router has a node plugged into them. And thinking adversarially again, you know, in order to destroy the history of Bitcoin, you would need to destroy all 14,000 of these all around the world, you know? And how in the world do you do that? You have no idea which 14,000 homes are running their own router. And as technology Excuse me, are running their own node, and as technology increases, you know this um, it gets cheaper to run a node, and more people are able to do so, and every time the 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 network gets more resilient and more decentralized as more people have a copy of the entire Bitcoin database of the time chain. You know, all right, let let's move on um, to the Oh, yeah. And and just to say about that, you know, right, the more people that run them, the better. But only one has to be running. All you need is one. It wouldn't be very decentralized if there was only one. But, you know, just to say, you would literally need to shut down all of them in order to get rid of the Bitcoin history. And there's even one running in space. There's a a satellite from a company called Blockchain that is... um, Running the network and has the database in space. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that like someone buried a copy in Antarctica too. Um, although I'm not sure if it's, you know, how it would be continuously updating or maybe it's just one plugged in in, an, in Antarctica. But, you know, there are very resilient thinkers making sure that this database lives on. You know, there are 14,000 of them running publicly and there are more plugging them in every day. And finally, you have the Bitcoin miners. So this is miner is a bit of an odd word here, but it's analogous to gold mining. You know, gold mining is how new gold is put into the, you know, circulating supply. And Bitcoin miners are how new Bitcoin are created. So Bitcoin miners, they use processing power and energy to publish new Bitcoin transactions to the time chain. So, you know, people with Bitcoin wallets, they'll, they might like send Bitcoin to one another. And it, it goes into this, uh, it's called a mempool, it, into the memory of all of these Bitcoin nodes as a pending transaction. And then Bitcoin miners, about once every 10 minutes, they publish a new batch of those Bitcoin transactions to the network. And in doing so, you know, in doing so, honestly, um, they they have to you know cryptographically prove that that they're being an honest participant, and I won't get into the weeds, but it takes processing power and energy, and so um, they're rewarded in exchange for you know for providing that processing power and energy to ensure the network remains. Um, honest, they're, they're rewarded for providing those resources with new Bitcoin. And so that is how new Bitcoin are created, right? There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin, but only 19 million have been mined so far. So there are 19 million Bitcoin in existence and um, the next 2 million Bitcoin are on a preset schedule to be mined over the next 120 years and so these bitcoin miners they're always you know publishing new transactions and being rewarded with new bitcoin as a result now bitcoin miners would actually be um much easier than node operators or 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 holders to shut down because they do take noticeable amounts of energy and you know there's a significant supply chain to get the you know necessary hardware you know to optimally mine this Bitcoin, and so these aren't as covert operations, although they can be. But they're they're more noticeable. They're more susceptible to being shut down. Uh, but there's a really um, genius uh, other feature to the Bitcoin network, uh, specifically specifically in regard to this mining, and it's called the difficulty adjustment. And basically, it recalibrates the network every two weeks. So so when new miners join the network, right, um, Bitcoin transactions process faster. And when miners leave the network, Bitcoin transactions process slower. But every two weeks, the Bitcoin network recalibrates so that it's running perfectly at full capacity. perfectly at full capacity. And so, you know, trying to think of how this would be shut down, it's it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole, you know? You can you can try to shut down all these miners, but the network will just recalibrate. You know, it'll will regulate itself to make sure that it's always running smoothly, you know? And not to mention I'm putting a lot of different pieces together here, but um, I'll just touch on this a moment that remember the Bitcoin is all being mined at a preset rate. No matter how big or small the network gets, it's the same amount of Bitcoin that are being mined. Um, it's about every 10 minutes that a new block of transactions are published to the network. But it's a new set of, of uh Uh, or it's it's the the new Bitcoin that are mined are on a preset schedule. And that's also how, you know, we make sure we never go over the 21 million cap. Uh, And so no matter how big or small the network is, it's the same amount of Bitcoin that are released and mined about every 10 minutes. And so what happens is, you know, if the network gets bigger, then... There's less Bitcoin that's divided up, um, not exactly, but but the the bigger the network gets, there's still only ten, you know, there's still only um, a, a set amount of Bitcoin that are mined, and so even if if the if the network doubled in size, it would be twice as many Bitcoin miners all fighting over and competing with each other for the same number of Bitcoin. And similarly, if the network shrinks, if the network shrinks in half, then all of a sudden, all these Bitcoin miners are being rewarded about like twice as much Bitcoin as they were getting before when they were competing on a a network that was twice as big. That might have been a little confusing. But the point I'm trying to bring up here is that every time you shut down a Bitcoin miner, you make it more profitable for all the miners that are currently running. And you make it more profitable for new miners to join the network. So if, if at any point a miner was, was forcibly shut down, you know, making the network smaller, it just encourages um, new people to fill in that spot or for existing miners to, to grow in their size. And so I really would, you know, think about this kind of like playing, you know, whack-a-mole, you know, the, the, the incentives are there for the network to always recalibrate to full capacity and always get new people on board mining, you know, making the network more decentralized and more resilient. You know, and not to mention these Bitcoin miners and holders and node operators, they're active all around the world you know they're in six different continents in hundreds of currency uh, hundreds of countries you know thousands tens of thousands jurisdictions depending on how you how you break it up you know maybe even more but i mean to shut down a network like this you would need the cooperation of every government around the world and every space satellite and, you know, every, you need everybody to, to agree to shut off the internet all at once and then not turn it back on. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's incredibly infeasible. You know, it's a, it's a tough, you know, mind exercise to try to figure out how that would even, you know, begin to be possible. And so the whole reason I want to bring this up right now is because this decentral- these decentralized properties are unique to Bitcoin, all right? You may have listened to that last episode, absolute scarcity. And, you know, gold seemed to be doing fine, all right? You know, you might have listened to that last episode and been like, you know, I get it. Hard money is wicked important. We can't use soft money, um, you know, and, and Bitcoin is absolutely scarce and gold is highly trusted, you know, uh, gold is highly, you know, trusted scarcity. Um, but you might not be convinced. You might just say, you know, we have a history with gold and all this magic Internet money stuff is confusing and and new and... It's just more palpable to to use gold. You know, we've used gold before, and it's and it's worked. You know, I I even said it's been used in all of these times of, um, of of great flourishing. You know, although not perfect, right? It's the gold standard, right? <laughs> we used gold, and and it worked. You know, um, everything kind of went bonkers after 1971 when we went off the gold standard so let's just get back on the gold standard and here's where here's why that's not really an option okay because i'm mean, okay the the issue with gold starts when um it became worth so much that you couldn't really use it for payments i mean how do you pay for coffee with gold right i mean you gotta <laughs> shave off some dust and scrape it into someone's cash register. Like, no, that's not going to work. Um, and so what ended up happening is banks custodied the gold. You know, you would go to your bank and you would give them your gold. And in exchange, they would give you paper notes, you know, like you know, currency, like dollars, right? They would give you paper notes worth X amount of gold. And so through this substitution, uh, gold gained a lot of awesome properties. You know, all of a sudden it became really easy to divide. You know, it became so much easier to transport. It became, uh, you know, you had confidence in in its authenticity. You know, the bank, you know, uh, could afford to, you know, make sure that the gold was, was real rather than, you know people exchanging gold you know not everybody knows how to tell you know if the gold was real and so the using the dollar notes that are backed by gold made gold you know um an amazing currency you know you had hard money but you had all this you know utility of being able to divide it into you know smaller dollar notes and being able to you know transport instead of transporting you know heavy gold bars around, you could just transfer these slips of paper. Um, it was it was a great system, all right. But the, but the problem there is that the gold is all held centrally in bank vaults. Right, so it doesn't work. You can't hold yourself. You can't hold the gold yourself and participate in that system. You have to deposit the gold at a centralized institution like a bank, and in exchange, be given the dollars to use in the economy. So, you know, it works in good times. In good times, you know, uh, everything is going well. Everyone's using their dollars, and and all the gold is safe in in the bank vaults but in bad times you know gold can be confiscated it's all there in one place you know hundreds of times across history gold has been seized and in 1933 president d roosevelt excuse me president franklin d roosevelt he added another instance of gold being seized to the you know long list in history of 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 uh, of its seizure, so he launched Executive Order six zero one two in nineteen thirty three and seized everyone's gold in the banks, you know, just like that, just with the presidential signature. You know, the gold network failed. All the gold was held centrally in these bank vaults, where it could, you know, and all the banks they follow the regulations; they need to be, a, you know, a open and operating business. And so, you know, all you have to do is make gold illegal and you are able to easily seize the gold from the few places around the country that it is. And this is the big difference with Bitcoin, is that Bitcoin is natively digital. You know, it's it all the Bitcoin is on that big public ledger, the time chain. And there is no way to just seize all of that Bitcoin, you know. And when everybody holds the Bitcoin themselves, right. You would have to go into all those, you know, millions of homes around the country, around the world in order to take everybody's Bitcoin. Right. I mean. I'm not even sure that that executive order 6102 would have worked if everybody, you know, kept their gold coins under their mattress. You know, that would have been very expensive for the federal government to go into everybody's homes and and take their gold. You know, so, right, and there's so many ways you you can hold your Bitcoin, right? I mean, maybe you have your Bitcoin written on slips of paper, and, and maybe your house gets, you know, turned upside down looking for them, and And uh, and maybe it can be taken then. But what if you memorize it? What are they going to do then? You know, what if what if you hear them coming and you immediately send your Bitcoin across the ocean to family for safekeeping, right? Well, what do you do then? You know, a, a lot of Bitcoin right there, I mentioned that you can have a Bitcoin wallet on your phone and you can have one um, in, a, in a specified device. And in those, in those devices, they're called hardware wallets. You know, a lot of them have a feature where um, if you mess up your PIN code, your, your code to access the hardware wallet, if you mess it up three times, the device will wipe itself. And so, I mean, what, if a, if an entity seizes all your Bitcoin hardware wallets, you know, they can't, they still can't, you know, get your Bitcoin. They, they guess they have three chances to guess an eight-digit PIN code. You know, the device is going to get wiped. <laughs> and so, it's really not feasible in any way for you know, there to be a seizure of Bitcoin. And so, and this is where Bitcoin triumphs over gold. This is like the, the main key place is that, you know, they're both hard money. You know, Bitcoin is is harder, but gold, um, you know, has more of a reputation. But the problem is that for gold to be your currency, it has to be centralized. Whereas for bitcoin to be a currency everybody's able to hold it themselves you know for $250 you can run the entire network yourself you know you can decide to mine bitcoin if you'd like but but the point is that that there's no central server right there's nobody in charge it's a it's a network run by the users for the users with no incumbents getting any sort of special treatment. So, whereas gold is centralized, Bitcoin is decentralized. Whereas gold can be seized, Bitcoin is incredibly harder to be seized. I think it's pretty clear that Bitcoin has grown to the point and the tools are there that there is no chance of it being hampered by any sort of draconian laws. They would would fail at the outset. There there would be no game plan for seizing all the Bitcoin. It's just not possible. And so here's the second feature I want to highlight about Bitcoin, that it is a peer-to-peer network.